Now we're in what I call a permanent Halloween in which you can't do a, uh, a television series or a movie unless it has, you know, robots, demons, uh, alien abductions, or something uh, wacko. Ladies and gentlemen, And now, ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Banal. Hello out there, my friends. This is Tim Banal of BanalofAmerica.com, with another edition of BOA Audio Season 4. Four weeks in, we're finally delving into the UFO phenomenon, but we're going to look at it from an off-the-beaten-path angle with our guest, Charles Upton, author of Cracks in the Great Wall, UFOs and Traditional Metaphysics. In this conversation, Charles is going to detail the field of metaphysics and how it relates to UFOs, the hierarchy of being within the world of metaphysics, why he feels that demonic elements may be at work behind UFOs, his problems with time travel and reincarnation, his critiques of Steven Spielberg's work, and Dr. John Mack's research. We're going to get his opinion on whether or not God will bail out the human race, and if the powers that be that are doing the devil's work know that they are performing in service to Satan. On top of all that, I'm going to play devil's advocate to some of Charles's arguments, and we'll get his take on what a potential skeptic of his work might say, and of course, tons and tons more. It's a relatively spooky episode of BOA Audio, kind of scary. A little bit chilling, but it's definitely one I think you're going to enjoy very much. We're going to take a look at unidentified flying objects in a whole new light with Charles Upton, author of Cracks in the Great Wall, UFOs and Traditional Metaphysics. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Charles Upton, let me give you a little bit of background on him. Charles Upton was born in 1948 and grew up in Marin County, California. He attended Catholic schools through high school, during which time he met Lou Welch, who became his mentor, and helped him publish two volumes of poetry, Panic Grass and Time Raid. Although he is much younger than most of the beat poets, these two volumes qualify him for inclusion with the beats. After the publication of his poems, Charles Upton became involved with the Sanctuary Movement for Central American Refugees and New Age Dream Networking. In the late 1980s, he joined a traditional Sufi order, and has since published books about Sufism, comparative religion, and metaphysics according to the traditionalist school. His website is www.seriousseekers.com, S-E-R-I-O-U-S-S-E-E-K-E-R-S.com. Check it out. Without any further ado, let's rock and roll. This interview was recorded on September 22nd, 2008. Charles Upton, talking about UFOs and traditional metaphysics on BOA Audio, Season 4. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Been All of America Audio. We've got a very interesting guest here this week. He is Charles Upton, the author of Cracks in the Great Wall, UFOs and Traditional Metaphysics, and he has got a fascinating perspective on UFOs that really hasn't been talked about much or hasn't really been discussed recently in the UFO world. It's definitely an outsider's perspective on what's going on here with the UFO phenomenon and a wholly 
uh, unique look at who may be behind the UFOs. Frightening, frightening perspective on UFOs. And I'm really excited and interested in talking to him about his research into uh, the cracks in the Great Wall, if you will. Of course, that's the title of the book, Cracks in the Great Wall. Charles Upton, welcome to Banal of America Audio. Well, glad to be here. And um, research, you might call it. I mean, basically, I'm not an investigative reporter or a ufologist. I'm just trying to make sense of what has already been discovered by other people, and at least, you know, the things I accept that have been discovered by other people, trying to put it into a single paradigm or a single picture that isn't so terribly contradictory. So you're more of an observer trying to put together a unified field, I guess you could say. Yeah, a unified field, unified, uh, unified theory, let's say that. There you go. Well, let's start out with the bio, the background. Who is Charles Upton, and how did you become interested in the UFO subject? Well, I mean, essentially... I'm of the age, just about to be 60 years old, where I was uh, in the center of the counterculture of the 60s, and that's one of the myths that was floating around. Anybody remembers Captain Beefheart, they will remember, you know, the blimp, the mothership, you know, which was a satire of that. But, you know, this is one of the many things that came more deeply into mass consciousness through the the hippie era, and uh, it was picked up more uh, and sort of formalized more uh, as the New Age began to take over from the hippies, and then you've got a lot of you know, UFO groups like the Pleiadians and such who believe they were in touch with these beings. Mm-hmm. So it, it was just part of my cultural upbringing, and it's one of the things I wanted to make sense of. And so who am I? Well, I was a San Francisco poet back in the 60s and 70s. It was published by Lawrence Perlinghetti of City Lights Books. If anybody remembers those guys, they did Allen Ginsberg and those people. So I sort of knew... You know, the Beat Generation people, and then went through the counterculture. You know, basically, I've been investigating religion. You know, I went through uh, New Age for a couple of years. I spent a couple of years doing solidarity work with Central, Central American refugees through the sanctuary movement. Uh, when I was with a, my wife and I were with a, uh, Pisco, um, excuse me, Pisco, I should bite my tongue, uh, Presbyterian Church. <laughs> And um, so, you know, I've been looking around religion here and there and uh, for most of my life. After that, uh, I joined a um, Persian Sufi order, which is active in the, in the West, and I'm still connected with the Sufi path. So that's what I'm doing spiritually. But um, somehow, one of the uh, aspects of my spiritual worldview has to be those things which menace the truth, and then menace the truth both in terms of disinformation and in terms of trying to establish uh, non-religious or even demonic worldviews so as to take the place of the revealed religions. And this is something I pretty much stand against, and so that's part of what I feel my role is. And uh, lastly, I would say that um, through my wife, Jenny, mostly in the 80s, I started to read the books of the traditionalist school who are the names that people may recognize are Ananda Kumaraswamy, Pritchoff, Schoen, and uh, René Guénon, and there's a bunch of others. And uh, they sort of pre- presented a um, very high-level, very integrated metaphysics that were drawn from the uh, the world religions and you know the, the great metaphysical sages throughout history like Plato and Plotinus and Shankara and such. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, uh, a body of doctrine which which I could sort of sit with, which I could stand upon, and from that point of view, start to look at other manifestations of uh, 
uh, belief systems or this and that kind and have something to measure them against. So I say that uh, one of the genres of books that I write I call on metaphysics and social criticism. Using a metaphysical paradigm to do essentially social criticism, our other paradigms are sort of worn out. Marxism is gone and, uh, you know, liberal, uh, liberal ideology is gone. The neocons don't have an ideology, they just have an agenda. And so, um, it, it got very hard to have an overview of what's going on in the world because the theories we use to look at it with are all called into question. So uh, I decided to go back to metaphysics, which deals with eternal principles, and see what kind of social criticism could be done on that basis. So, and uh, my book about UFOs is sort of part of that. Now, I guess before we jump into what your general thesis is with regards to UFOs, give a little sort of thumbnail look at metaphysics for people who are out of the loop and not really familiar with what metaphysics are. Okay, well, metaphysics... You know, a lot of people, when they hear that word, they think, well, that, that's, that's belief in UFOs, isn't that? Or that's, you know, UFOs, crystals, witchcraft, occultism, uh, you know, psychic phenomena, psychic powers, things like this. Actually, that's not it. Metaphysics may give you a view of what all that stuff is, but that isn't what metaphysics is. Metaphysics is essentially the science of first principles, and you'd call it uh, spiritual or mystical philosophy. And, you know, the, the big names that people have heard of are Plato, Aristotle, and, you know, in China, Lao Tzu, and, you know, who wrote the Tao Te Ching. And basically, people who look at this universe as emanating from an absolute truth, which in, in our English language is called God, and all the implications of that fact, the relationship of God to his universe, and... um in, in terms of eternal principles that do not change. Let's dive in here now to cracks in the Great Wall. Before we started the interview, you said you kind of had it already laid out that you want to talk about Yeah, well, I've got, a, I've got a page and a half here. And, and uh, first, though, I'd just like to say a couple of words about what that title means. The okay. um, a metaphysician, René Guénon, who passed away, I think, in 1950, had a wonderful book that everybody should read called uh, The Reign of Quantity and the Signs of the Times. It's a really prophetic book. And in that book, one of the things he said, now he believes that we're getting near the end of this cycle of manifestation or of this particular world. Exactly when this world may end is, is uh, something, according to the Bible, we're not supposed to really ask. But there, there are plenty of signs that uh, we're at least in the last phases of this uh, cycle. Mm -hmm. So he says one of the things that happens at the uh, end of a cycle like this is what he calls uh, cracks in the Great Wall. And this simply means that the barrier, let us call it an energy barrier between regular physical reality and subtle realities, you know, the world of, uh, uh, the, world of the spooks, let's put it that way, uh, this wall wears thin. And as it wears, wears thin, more and more incursions arrive from what he calls the infra-psychic which is basically, if you just, if you've been paying attention to popular culture over the past, you know, 20 years, you'll see that it's changed immensely. And now we're in what I call a, a permanent Halloween in which you can't do a, uh, a television series or a movie unless it has, you know, robots, demons, uh, alien abductions, or something uh, wacko. 
I mean, we can't we can't do a regular story of human beings anymore because we're not into it. <laughs> human beings are passe, you know. And so, uh, if you just you know step back and look at this flood of demonic images coming through the mass media and basically going through all our heads, you'll see that something has radically changed from the time when you could have a story um, about human beings living. You know, I mean, I, we, we're just, uh, my wife and I are just writing uh, old uh, videos of the Waltons, you know. I mean, the Waltons, it's a pretty good series, you know, but you couldn't have anything like that. Now, the Waltons, where's the UFOs? You know, where's the, you know, wh where's where's the witch who, who turns up at their house? You know, it's only about human beings, just, you know, having kids and trying to, uh, you know, uh, keep uh, body and soul together, make enough money to live on, and how could that be interesting? Mm -hmm. Well, so we, so our culture has changed immensely, and I think that is a, a signal, a sign of exactly what Ganon was talking about: is breakthrough of infrapsychic forces. And one of the um, more radical manifestations of this breakthrough is the UFO phenomenon. So that's what the title is. Now I can read this thing called "What UFOs Are," and it's about a page and a half, and this this encapsulates my basic theory about the phenomenon. Okay, that sounds good, because then I have a lot of specific questions about the book good. that we'll get into, but we good. want to lay the groundwork here, so let's do that. Yeah, uh, I want to say, thesis. I'm starting off from uh, the findings of Jacques Vallée, who, who I feel is probably the best of the ufologists, because he is he's covered more ground than anybody else. He's talked about all the aspects of the phenomenon that I can imagine, and but he hasn't, uh, he hasn't narrowed his focus in order to explain it one way or the other. So, it goes like this. Jacques Vallée, in his numerous books, soundly documents three different aspects of the UFO ET phenomenon. One, it has re a real physical component. UFOs le uh, leave uh, uh, traces, physical traces, appear on, on radar. Two, it has an undeniable psychic component, lost time periods, altered states of consciousness, alien-human telepathy, ETs appearing in dream or trance states, etc. Three, there is much solid evidence for human deception activities of the Mission Impossible variety surrounding the UFO phenomenon. The following explanation synthesizes these three aspects into a coherent whole. I just want to say, this is the problem in ufology, because it really does have a physical component, a psychic component, and a deception component. Mm -hmm. And people simply cannot make sense of that. You know, they look at all three, and they become mesmerized and stunned, and they will opt for one or the other. There are people who say it's all black operations, all black ops. Other people say, no, it's got to be real extraterrestrials. Other people say, you know, it's angels, and, and, and they're talking to me. Very rarely do you have those three aspects come together. This is what I'm trying to do is to bring them together. Okay. So I say, the outer explanation of the UFO phenomenon and the human activities surrounding it is as follows. The phenomenon is real and largely inexplicable according to conventional science, though theories abound. In view of this, national governments, or cabals within them, or various extra-governmental power blocks have said to themselves, if we can't explain or control the UFO phenomenon, we can at least use it to our benefit. Consequently, they have been playing a game with the public of issuing both official denials that the phenomenon exists or is inexplicable or is in any way significant, while at the same time planting spurious evidence that suggests it is all too real, evidence to which are attached various beliefs that they wish to foster. In particular, they want to disseminate the belief that national governments know a great deal about the phenomenon and what's behind it, and that such governments 
are in fact in ongoing contact with intelligent extraterrestrial beings, but must officially deny this in order to, in order to prevent mass panic. Now, Edgar Mitchell recently alluded to his belief that the governments were in touch with uh, extraterrestrials on yeah. an ongoing basis. So, in other words, the actual disinformation being disseminated is not the alleged massive government cover-up, which in practical terms would be almost impossible to pull off, but rather the highly successful attempt by some group or groups to make the population believe that a massive, go massive government cover-up exists, yeah. a much easier task. Mm -hmm. One of the methods being employed is illustrated by the following anecdote. I forget where I heard this, but this is one of the stories that are out there. So I can't attest to this, you know, uh, individually, but uh, this is the way this thing could be being done. The story goes like this. Someone admitted to an American Air Force base catches a glimpse of an object resembling a UFO through an open hangar door. As soon as he sees it, the door is closed, and he's told, you weren't supposed to see that. Then a few days later, the proverbial men in black arrive at his house, threatening reprisals if he ever tells anyone what he saw. This is a classic case of psychological manipulation, where an event that might have made little impression on him suddenly, through the use of terror, assumes the status of a dark revelation. If these people are desperate enough to threaten to harm me or my family if I reveal what I know, then what I saw must be real. Yeah. The effect of this project is threefold. One, it protects the national governments from being called upon to actually produce the alien diplomats they are supposedly in contact with. Two, it lends such governments an aura of preternatural power and terror since they appear to have as allies highly advanced beings, beings from the beyond, who certainly do not rule by the will of the people. Three, by fostering the mass belief in alien contact, it acts to break down traditional paradigms of reality, including religious worldviews, in order to make the imposition of a one-world government and possibly a one-world religion easier to swallow. Okay, that's the, that's the outer aspect, but I claim that there's also an inner aspect to the phenomenon, and it goes okay. like this. Furthermore, the UFO phenomenon and the human activities surrounding it have an inner explanation as well. Certain individuals and groups within national governments and or the intelligence community and or various extra-governmental power blocks actually are in touch with extraterrestrial intelligences, but in a much different way than they wish the public to believe. These intelligences are in fact demons, and those in touch with them, black magicians. A case in point, both L. Ron Hubbard and Jack Parsons were followers of black magician Aleister Crowley. Harvard later founded the Church of Scientology, and Parsons, who, according to Jacques Vallée's Messengers of Deception, claimed to have met a Venusian extraterrestrial in the Mojave Desert, went on to co-found both the Aerojet Corporation and the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Many, if not most, of the various UFO-related phenomena known to researchers and contactees, the sightings, the landings, the abductions, are actually demonic manifestations. See Orthodoxy and the Religion of the Future by Seraphim Rose for the close parallels between the UFO phenomenon and traditional Christian accounts of demonic activity. What, to the exoteric social engineers, are deception activities designed to alter mass belief, to the esoteric magicians, the metaphysicists, are acts of demonic invocation. The mass belief in extraterrestrials and the mass, mass suggestion programs that foster this belief and as soon as I say that, uh, Steven Spielberg comes immediately to mind. Uh, the mass belief in extraterrestrials, etc., actually aid these Aulia 
al-shaitan, an Islamic term meaning Satan's friends, connoting Satan's saints or Satan's contemplatives. In their attempt to contact these entities and release their baleful influence upon an unsuspecting world. Okay, is that the uh, that's the page and a half, right? Yeah, that's it. Okay, so essentially what you're saying is there's a sort of a twofold cover-up, if you will. First, there's one perpetrated by the government to make people think that they know more about UFOs or, than or, they or do. Or by, I wouldn't say the government as if it yeah. were a single entity, but by certain. Um, rogue factions, let's so say. The rogue factions, they may be parts of the government that may not. They probably are, but I don't know who they are. But you can't, you can't say it's by an act of Congress, you know. Sure. Somebody, some people involved in the government, the intelligence community. Okay, and then within that, there's also a cabal that you think is in contact with these beings and yes. sort of doing their bidding, and that the beings are demonic, right? That's sort of the gist of what you just read. Yeah, if, if, if you want a, a, a good fictional presentation of that, everybody should read That Hideous Strength by C.S. Lewis. I mean, it was great that the Chronicles of Narnia came out as a movie. Wait till that comes out. It's actually a man I know uh, in the traditionalist school, James Kutzinger, described that as the, the reign of quantity, which you remember as Rene Guénon's masterpiece uh, in fictional form. The first real question is, why do you ascribe these beings as demonic. I mean, it's always sort of the idea that the uh, the UFO phenomenon is so ephemeral that it sort of depends on the person's point of view. Some people might think it's an angel. Some people might think it's, you know, some kind of middling creature, you know, a fairy or a troll well, or something. Well, I, I, would, I would say that the middling creatures are also in evidence. I mean, you cannot literally say that all of uh, UFO manifestations are demonic. I'm saying they have a big demonic element and if anybody's read the John Max book, uh, Abduction, talking about the horrendous experiences that people have with uh, UFO abductions or you know, ET abductions, whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. um, that's enough to show that there's there's a great demonic component in this phenomenon, even though Mac didn't care. He just thought it was interesting and weird. All right, well, let's talk about the hierarchy of being, because that seems to be something that, that you use as a, as a template, if you will, in looking at your work. Yeah, well, actually, this is, is a, a universal view of reality, which we could probably, if, if we knew where to look, we could find it in almost every, if not every, religion and uh, mythology and primitive belief system all throughout human history. Um, it existed in fairly good form until, let's say, the 18th century, where that, that's when the name, the Great Chain of Being, was given to it by certain writers. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, that, that there's a chain of worlds stretching from this material world to the world of the divine. And uh, nowadays, that's even people who believe in God will tend to, to look at, at reality sort of flat as historical and natural alone, and then they will add God to that. But they get very nervous about the idea of higher worlds, higher planes of being, particularly higher worlds of form, where it isn't all just, you know, undifferentiated undifferentiated light, but where you can go to actually other worlds that are not like this world, but have some similarities because they're composed of form, and you know, they have events, and they have beings. One of those worlds uh, is, is uh, what's always been called fairyland, or the land of the ever-young uh, the Russians call it Belovodia. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably what the uh, Tibetans call Shambhala. And it's it's a world uh, that is subtler than this. It, it has its material in a sense because it has, um, you know, 
the uh, beings in it and the objects have a certain substantiality that's much subtler than this world. And, you know, if you want to go go to, to Plato, essentially Plato talked about the one, or the good, which is what we would call God, then below that, the intelligible world, which is the world of eternal ideas. And uh, when that uh, concept of Plato got to Islam, uh, particularly Iranian Islam, it was reinterpreted as the world of, the, let's say, the archangels, where those ideas were also beings. Uh, but th this, th these uh, are realities that can be reached directly through, you know, direct intellection, which means uh, the faculty that understands truth directly, just like the eye sees light. You know those truths. Okay. There they are. But they're not in form, or they're not in uh, sensual form, at least. Then you get uh, a little farther down, and you get to what's called the intermediary plane, which Plato did not emphasize, but which is in evidence in a lot of his writings. And this is where those ideas appear more as individual beings in their own environment, um, with their own even histories, one might say, or okay. their own you know, their own nature, one might say. But, but it's all in a subtler. Uh, uh, subtler uh, quality than material reality, then below that is, let us say, you know, the sensual reality that, that we call material, you know, what our five senses report, which is, uh, and each one of these worlds is, is smaller, you might say, less capacious, less transparent to the light of truth than the worlds above. And every one of the worlds above contains all the worlds that are below it. So what you have is a projection into a more and more particular and sort of um, limited version of reality, and uh, we're in one of the lower um, worlds as, as we are walking around in our bodies in this world. But everyone can experience this through, let us say, the dream state. The dream state is the intermediate or the imaginal plane, pretty much. You know, everybody thinks of dreams as entirely subjective, something going on in your head. But I was uh, once connected with a group of people who were doing something called group dreaming, where they would uh, make dates to rendezvous at a particular place in that world on a particular night. There's a lady called Barbara Shore who has since passed on. She developed something called the octagonal room, where her friends in the, in the, the group dreaming world would meet, and they would go to this place, and they would see the same thing. They'd wake up the next day and phone each other and say, did you see that giraffe over in the corner? Oh, yeah, I saw that. You know. Oh, so wow. in other words, they, they were validating that um, the world of dreams or the imaginal plane or the intermediary plane has an objective reality. So, so um, actually, okay, that's the world of dreams. Let's put it this way. What you see through your eyes and touch with your hands is the material plane. If you close your eyes and imagine any image whatsoever, that is, let's say, the intermediary plane. But there's a plane directly between those two, which some people call the etheric plane. And if you can imagine something which is more material than a mental image, but more subtle than what's coming in through your five senses, okay. that's a particular plane. And that is, I believe, where the UFO beings exist. They're the, they're the beings that uh, Muslims call the jinn, you know, the genies, and they're the same beings as the Irish will call, or the French will call the fairies, or the she. And uh, they've been in evidence throughout human history, you know, that they're, they're well known and well attested. And they can come through into this world up to a point, 
and they can materialize and they can you know have have material effects but they can't really stay here very long because this is they're like fish out of water this is not where they belong they're more subtle than this it apparently takes a lot of energy for them to manifest in this world and that's why you don't have lots of crashed ufos yeah uh, because uh you know the objects that, that that they appear in or you know that they manifest in this world are um, ephemeral you know that they they come in and then then they dissolve again in most cases because it takes too much energy to uh to maintain them in this form and if you ever go on YouTube and look at all the UFO videos that people have now yeah some of which look to me to be deceptions but a lot of them seem to be just people saw some strange light and had their camera and, and photographed it uh you will see many of these objects look like they're having a hard time maintaining a particular shape some of them do, but a lot of them just change shape all the time as if they were trying to appear as a material object so people will believe that's what they are, but not, not doing too well. Because, yeah. uh, you know, it, it does take a lot of energy for beings from that world to uh, come to this world. Okay, and so you're trying to say really like that that these beings exist within uh, that middle realm, if you will, that you were just talking about, and, yeah. that, and that some can be evil and some can be good. Would you classify well, the angels in this situation, well, or are they the in angel, a different The angels world? are actually, uh, I would say, from a higher plane than that. Okay. One of the marks of the inter intermediary plane, or particularly the etheric plane, which is like the lower level, the inter intermediary plane, very close to the material, is the quality of pixie dust. <laughs> if you, uh, I, you know, this, this, this depends upon... Uh, you know, wh whether you have the kind of nervous system that is susceptible to, to such experiences. But some people will know what I mean. The quality where things seem to sparkle, you know, and and, and many little sparkling particles. Uh, whereas the angels come from a realm which is, when they appear in this realm, they're much more solid, and they have a quality of, of solidified light. Okay. So this is just very um, impressionistic. And, you know, if if people have never had experiences like this, just uh, don't worry about it. But some, some <laughs> people will understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. Now, in the book, you do a pretty thorough job sort of of looking at time travel and reincarnation and kind of debunking them. Um, so I guess let's talk about that a little bit because you don't seem to be a fan of those two uh, concepts. Well, as a follower up to a point of René Guénon, now he denied, and, and this may or may not be historically correct, but he said the real teachings of Buddhism and Hinduism deny reincarnation. Well... That may be, may be going a bit far, but uh, there is a concept in Advaita Vedanta, which is um, sort of the, the higher Hindu mysticism. It says uh, God, or the Absolute, or Brahman, is the one and only transmigrant. In other words, the only being who moves from life to, lifetime to lifetime, from body to body, is the Absolute. Which is sort of strange, because how can the Absolute move from thing to thing? The Absolute is everywhere is perfectly itself, yeah. you know, it, it does not need to descend into succession in order to, you know, complete its experience. You know, it, it, it's, it's, all, it's all what it is, and it's all what it knows. Yeah. So th this, this is a way of saying that, um, let's put it this way, when, when, I, when I die, when Charles Upton dies, does he turn into somebody else? Or uh, is there the same being who is Charles Upton and puts on a new body in the next world or in the next, you know, life? And it really doesn't stand to reason because there's only one me, and you know wh whoever the next lifetime will be is going to be somebody else. It's not going to be, you know, I turned into somebody else. I, I, I am me, and that person is someone else. We may have a 
an affinity uh, because we have you know, a, a, a similar spiritual destiny or, or emanating from a sim, of the same archetype or something like that. Mm-hmm. But really, you know, what, what I'm saying is the, the belief in time travel comes from uh, our inability to conceive eternity. If, if we understood what eternity was, uh, we wouldn't have, have to say, well, there's got to be reincarnation because I know I don't die somehow, but, but uh, you know, what, 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 could, what could life be but another life on this planet or some other planet? We can't imagine a life that, that, that is in higher realms because, as I say, that the intermediary planes, the higher planes of the, of the great chain of being, uh, have disappeared for us largely. We can't conceive of those anymore. I mean, we can conceive them more easily when I was a child. I mean, just people who weren't into the metaphysics at all could imagine gods in heaven and the angels are there and this and that. And we just don't, not, we don't imagine that anymore. We look up and say, what's up there, angels? No. The global positioning system was up there, you know, or, you know, so it, it changed so much. But, um, so, I mean, time travel is absurd. I hate to say that, but, you know, physicists say, it could, could we go back? You had to have been there to go back there, because who are you going to be when you go back there but somebody who's there? You know, it's, it's, it's almost too, it's one of those things that's very hard to debunk because it's so absurd that people haven't thought of arguments against it yet because it used to be just considered to be that doesn't happen. You know, I mean, time, like, like I said somewhere in the book, uh, if, if we're ever going to uh, travel back into the past, then we already have because, you know, in the future we will learn how to travel back into the past, and so we already have. And so wh- where, where is everybody who's supposed to be coming in from the future? And then some people say, well, that's what the UFOs are, but... Really, nothing can move from one place. And like I said somewhere in the book, in terms of time travel, it's not like saying, well, is it possible for me to travel from Spain to Germany? It's more like saying, is it possible from Sp- for Spain to travel to Germany? You know, we, we are entirely of this time. You know, this, this, this time is our quality because different times are different qualities. And I, I can just see that, you know, having lived for almost 60 years, times have vastly different qualities. And there's no room in the past for any one of us to go back there unless we were already there. We have we would have to assume one of the states, one of the beings that uh, was already there. Otherwise, infinitely absurd uh, consequences develop. It's more interesting to ask why would people start to begin that you, to believe that you could do time travel? We cannot conceive of eternity, and yet we feel the time is ending. <laughs> Yeah. And so, and so, you know, this is our explanation. This is well, uh, and and a lot of it has to do with well, gee, you know, if 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 time is going to end, if if, if the, uh, the world's going to end, I want to get out of here. And where can I go but back? Yeah. You know, let's get out of here. Let's 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 run. Let's go back to leave it to Beaver, where where things aren't so crazy. You know, uh, I mean, a lot of it just comes from that psychological need, and and the inability to conceive that there is a reality beyond this level of things. So we just go into this feedback loop, imagining we can go back in time or run around in time, and it's not going to happen. Uh, now, I don't really quite understand your argument against time travel in the sense where you say that you'd have to be there, because doesn't the just the idea of a time travel is you just go back there, you know, in a car or whatever, like Back to the Future or whatever, you know, and you're you just get out and you're there. Why why do you have to be there in well, the past? Well, it's, it's, it's like. Uh, you have to be there because because that that is the only space you can occupy. You can only, you know, in other words, you you couldn't go to San Francisco 
from New York if there were no San Francisco, right? And yeah. by the same token, you, you couldn't go back to another place and be someone else unless that person was already there for you to be. And if that person was already there for you to be, then you and he are, are, are essentially one. And, and if, if you're one, there's no question of travel between you, you know, between one to the other. Well, you state in the book that the unseen warfare hypothesis is infinitely better explanation than evolution as far as UFOs go. So let's extrapolate on that a little bit. Why do you think that it's more likely that there's an unseen warfare going on than just that, uh, you know, the UFOs are here to elevate our evolution, if you will, or well, speed it up? Well, I, I mean, uh, how are they elevating our evolution? I mean, this is something that Jacques Vallée, whom I very much respect, said in one of his, um, you know, that trilogy of books, I see no evidence that this has to do with our evolving to a higher physical state or a higher state of consciousness. What happens is we've become so materialistic, we've forgotten the reality of higher worlds, and we've forgotten the reality of God, largely. Because of this, um, the jinn or the fairies from that plane can come through and they can amaze us. Because we're so materialistic, we, we can't believe that such things could happen. And essentially, all I see coming from that phenomenon is confusion. A lot of it is an attempt to deny the reality of the higher worlds. It's always been uh, brought forth by all the revealed religions. If you look into the, the teachings of, of the extraterrestrials, you will just see a great attack on religion. They want to be worshipped. And... In earlier times, they would do that kind of thing, and people say, oh, that's just the fairies. Don't trust them. Fairies are weird. Yeah. Or they'd say, that's, de that's demonic. You know, don't get near that. But now, since we do not, we, we, we've lost the sense that these other worlds exist, they can come back and say, well, we are the angels. Or, uh, actually, how did, how did uh, life begin on Earth? We seated you here. We are your creators. You, you see these... You know, which, which is an, an, an absurd idea. People talk about panspermia, you know, the idea that, that uh, life was seceded here from other planets. And, and they, they make that a kind of explanation to, um, to deal with the contradictions which are progressively emerging in the theory of evolution. So they say, well, it, you know, if, if life couldn't have evolved on Earth, it must have come here from somewhere else, which is, of course, a materialistic interpretation of traditional idea of creation, and so it was it was seeded here by flying saucers. But the question is, where did the flying saucers get the DNA? You know, on what planet did it evolve for them to get it and bring it here? And and that and that, that question is never addressed. So, uh, in other words, a number of of absurd and and anti-religious theories grow up around the UFO phenomenon that seem directly designed to deny the doctrines of all the world religions. And that's why another reason why I say that these beings are largely demonic. You take a pretty critical look at the Spielberg works, especially Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and you say how it acts as propaganda or mind control. Well, yeah. That, that, what is that series that he did? We just saw that. We rented that, and I forget the name. Oh, Taken. Yeah, Taken, right. And look, I mean, if you want, if you want something, if you imagine... Somebody says, now, Stephen, what we want is something um, that will destroy people's belief in God, belief in the significance of human life, um, because we want to break down society and uh, to turn it into a mass of chaos that we can mold to our 
own ends. I mean, I cannot think of a better job th th than what Spielberg, Spielberg did in Taken. I mean, it's, it's, that's what it is. It's so nihilistic. It's so hopeless, you know, and, and it, it, it goes to no real end. And do you think that goes beyond just creative license and more? I don't know. I really don't know. I'm just saying, you know, see, th this is the point where paranoia rears its head. And paranoia is discerning an agenda and then putting it on the wrong level. I mean, it is possible that some of the social engineers came to Spielberg and said, uh, okay, um, we need somebody to spread these ideas, and, uh, you know, this is your general, you know, we'll fund you a bit, and here's your general uh, um, script, but you, you, you uh, fill in the, the details, uh, you know, according to your creative license. This could have happened, but there's, there's no necessity that that would have happened, because... Um, the um, demonic forces that are working to destroy this world and, and essentially to deconstruct the human form, which is what they want to do, could just as easily inspire somebody like Spielberg without uh, the intermediary of the CIA or anybody else. Mm -hmm. So there's no way of knowing. So, uh, you know, it, it would be paranoid of me to roundly assert that Spielberg must be an agent because I have no evidence of that except, you know, by their fruits you shall know them. But also by their fruits, you shall know people who are inspired by, uh, you know, psychic influences that are far from healthy and are, are opposed to God. And there are plenty of people like that. It, it, it will be all of us if we don't watch out. Yeah. Well. And now you also have a pretty scathing critique of uh, Dr. Mack's work, Dr. Dr. John Mack. Dr. John Mack. And I'm I, went, a little... I went on his website years ago and I saw that he was portraying himself, oh, that he parachuted into some country, I forget where, you know. Uh, he, he portrayed himself as working for the CIA as, as a sort of a stringer or, 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 a, or a Lawrence of Arabia or, or, or cowboy diplomat, you know. I, I, it was a very strange picture he gave of himself. You know, I, I'm not a mere psychiatrist, he says. Anyway, I don't know about that. I don't know, I don't know anything about his background other than this Harvard psychiatrist persona, although he did write a book and get win a Pulitzer, didn't he, on D.H. Uh, T. Um, e. Lawrence, Lawrence Arabia, who actually did work for British intelligence. But anyway, Mac, I mean, what is terrible? People come traumatized, destroyed to John Mac, and and what he says as well. You know, let's let's accept your horrible, life-destroying experience is actually a positive thing. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it, after all, it's the weirdest thing that ever happened to you, so, so it, there's got to be something good about it, right? Because it better be. And, uh, and he, he says somewhere that, uh, you know, in, in his psychiatric sessions with people who have been abducted or believe they have, he said, uh, our, our, you know, our sessions were somehow the, uh, the missing second half of, of the experience, or at least either he said that or that was my characterization of it. And, it's terrible what these people would need in any normal spiritual culture, and all normal cultures are based upon spiritual revelations. What people would say is something terrible has happened to you. You need protection from these beings. You know, go here, pray, fast, we'll pray for you. You know, uh, don't think about them, do something else. You know, and, and, you know, pray to God to heal you from the terrible effects of these beings, which include physical illnesses. Uh, uh, psychological breakdown, breakup of families. Um, you know, just he, he he comes up with this horrible list of of, of 
symptoms that come from uh, UFO abduction experiences, and then he turns around and says, but in a larger sense, they're good. You know, and only, only a, a complete nihilist, if not a Satanist, would say something like that. I mean, based upon his own stories, his own research about what the, these uh, phenomena are like, then he turns around and says they're good. Unbelievable. So what he, the, the way he, he gets power over the people who come to him traumatized is not by saying, we have to protect you against these terrible beings that have walked into your room and taken you away and, you know, and, in, in some craft and probed you horribly and done whatever they did to you or raped you in your sleep or whatever they did. We're not going to protect you against them. We're going to protect you against your skeptical uh, relatives and friends who think you're crazy. Don't worry. I believe you, you see. He says, and that, that's how he steps in and totally diverts whatever would be a normal reaction on their part is help, you know, yeah. save me from these horrible things. He, he, he gets gets the, gets them by saying, "I believe you," because so many people don't believe him. I'm moderately uncomfortable, I guess, critiquing the work of Mac in the sense that he's not around really to defend his his research. Well, so. he's not around to sue either, so. Well, that's true, but, yeah, but um, yeah, right. you know, it's kind of unfair because he's not really here to defend. Do you extend well, this critique to the... Anyone, anyone can go to his book and uh, called Abduction, I think it's Abduction, not Abductions, but it's one or the other, and read it, and uh, if, if you disagree with me, get back to me and tell me I'm wrong. But uh, <laughs> that's that's my impression of that book. It's a very destructive book. But now my question is, would you over extend that critique overall to the to the overall abduction research. I mean, is this just limited to John well, Mack's I mean, work? Or I, I, I haven't, and I, I wouldn't do that because I, I, I read Mack's book and that was horrible enough and I don't want to read any more, to tell you the truth. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are very um, conscientious and, you know, uh, intellectually curious people in that field who really want to know what the phenomenon is and uh, some of them hope they can uh, learn more about it through a uh, hypnotic regression and things like this, which is, of course, a very de debatable um, tool. I mean, it's, it was, there was a period where a lot of that uh, kind of testimony was uh, allowed in court, and then such, you know, strange consequences happened that finally it was disallowed the last I heard. I'm not sure where it is right now. But, yeah, but there, there are probably some very conscientious researchers who've turned out some interesting stuff. I'm just saying that uh, Mac more or less revealed the dark side of the abduction phenomenon, not just the horror of the phenomenon itself, but the horror of his inability to say it's evil and his embracing of it simply because it exists and it's deeply weird. Yeah. And there are an awful lot of people like that nowadays who embrace something because it's deeply weird. They cannot conceive of absolute reality as good. Absolute reality, that's, that's only just Pollyanna, you know. How could absolute reality be good? Absolute reality... It's weird because yeah. life is weird, you know, and this is the way people think now. And this has certainly radically changed into my lifetime. We used to believe absolute reality, God is good. What else could, because good is real. And evil is, is, is a distortion of reality and a distortion of good. We no longer feel that. We no longer believe that. Yeah. I don't need to live in this physical realm. I walk around in the physical realm, and I put on the faces, and I talk, and I play, and I, yeah, it's just a big act, man. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. In the spiritual world, is where I live. I exist in places you never even dreamed of.
you know, because I just feel like uh, critiquing Max work because it's it's like dead research at this point. You can't really get any any feedback to it. I'd like to see you take a critique to, you know, someone else who's doing the abduction research, like a Bud Hawkins or David Jacobs is more in line with what you're saying. So I mean, maybe you could look into that kind of thing. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I might do that if if uh, I'm lured by programs like this back into the UFO field. I, I essentially got back into it again because I heard what Edgar Mitchell was saying, and I started to send down little emails around, you know, trying to say don't necessarily believe this guy. Yeah, because you're coming out against the UFOs, and you seem to think that this is sort of reaching ahead, if you will, where, where we're looking at the potential for an Armageddon situation, uh, Revelations, Antichrist scenario. Is that right? Well, yeah, this is basically what Sarah from Rose, very interesting figure, by the way, his uh, Orthodox, um, Eastern Orthodox priest, an American who died when? In the 70s, I think. I may be wrong. But uh, he wrote a book called uh, Orthodoxy and the Religion of the Future. And a lot of problems with that book, uh, because he was, you know, gets into this thing that the Eastern Orthodox get into where they are too anti-Catholic and they, they make that too much of their argument. But his chapter on UFOs was great. I mean, he's the one that really showed how the various things that are attributed to UFOs and to alien abductions and such can all be found in the lives of the saints um, in the Eastern Orthodox literature, uh, having to do with the saints' experience of demons. Very much the same stuff. So where do you think this is all headed? You're laying out a scenario here where the UFOs are... Uh, the occupants, let's say, of the UFOs, they're, you know, they're sort of orchestrating a push for man to move away from religion and the true yeah. God, as you say, yeah. and therefore, you know, to be remolded into a, a satanic society. Is that where you're, you're kind of saying well, this I, is going? Well, I, I think if, if one is capable, first, if one believes that, that, that there is such a thing as, as the satanic, and if one is willing to look at what's actually happening in society, uh, I think there are many evidences of that in every field. Um, and I think the UFOs are part of that. So the question is, this seems rather depressing. What, what, what is the value? You know, a lot of people say if, if it's too terrible to contemplate and we can't do anything about it anyway, why talk about it? And my answer is it's possible to protect yourself individually um, from influences of psychic forces such as UFO aliens and uh, that, that we should learn how to do it um, and, and, and learn that what they're doing is they're struggling to uh, abduct our spiritual attention, our basic spiritual attention and belief, and turn it in their direction and away from God. So what we need to know in order to combat them in a real way, not to make them go away from the skies, but to, to uh, prevent them from having the ultimate effect upon us, which is to cause us to lose our souls, uh, we, we have to learn to reestablish our deep and innate conception of the reality of God and the goodness of God. And beyond that, there are other, you know, protective elements, you know, protective practices that even include exorcism and things like that, that we can use to uh, protect ourselves and to heal ourselves from this kind of contact. But it's it's very hard to uh, conceive of the, of the evil of these things, because if, if, if you really come to an understanding or belief that they are that evil, then you will look around to the rest of society and say, but they're not alone. There's plenty of things that are having the same kind of effect on them. I mean, this society, this world society, is going to hell. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. I mean, if, if anybody would just have to go back 10 years, 
you know, or somebody brought forward, talk about time travel from 10 years ago, and look at television now, and they say, what? How could this have happened? It's, you know, I mean, continuous, endless destruction of human dignity. But that couldn't happen because, as you pointed out, time travel not possible. Well, it couldn't happen. But <laughs> I, I, I can, I can, I can remember, you know, the way things were ten years ago, and, and bring myself forward and be freaked by look. I mean, look at look at television. It, it, it isn't just a continuous, you know, and of course the internet. It isn't just a continuous line of of the paranormal, the demonic, evil robots. You know, you know all these new programs, fringe. Just came out, you know, not, not to mention the X-Files. All, you know, endless, endless train of this. But, uh, two other aspects. We're getting a little away from UFOs here, but two other aspects are, number one, we're being taught to have no human dignity, which is why you have a program where, uh, overweight people dressed in strange outfits, you know, uh, jump off of large rubber balls and fall in, in, into, uh, pools full of muck. You know, and, and this is entertainment. Right? Mm -hmm. Or, Prison break. We're all in prison. Or the cop shows. We're all criminals. You know, this 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 is all being done in order to destroy our self-respect. Because when uh, the destruction of our freedoms comes along, as it has with the Patriot Act and other things, uh, if we have no self-respect, we will not feel we have a right to protest. So you know, if if you just look at the image of humanity presented by the mass media. Humanity is is an ape that has no rights, deserves to be locked up, and if he's lucky, he'll be he'll be kept uh, fed with bananas, and that's about it. So you know the, the UFO phenomenon is is only one way of looking at uh, the destruction of the society and the destruction of the human form. We you know we're we're trying to deconstruct the human form with genetic engineering or whatever else you know or you know make, making beings that are half human and half ape through gene splicing and all of this, destroy the human form. And why do we destroy the human form? Why does the devil want the human form destroyed? Because the human form is, as it says in Genesis, you know, we are the stewards of this creation. As it says in the Quran, uh, God offered the trust to the heavens and the earth and the hills, and they shrank from it. They were afraid of it, and man assumed it. Then it says, lo, he hath proved a tyrant and a fool. But we, we are the telos of this plane of existence. We're the reason for the whole thing. If, even if you want to talk about evolution, evolution, which I, you know, I don't believe in Darwinian evolution. I believe in the change of, of forms of life, but not through the random, um, the uh, natural selection of random mutations, which does not explain it. But, you know, let's say it was all tended to us. When it says in Genesis, we were created last. And so we were sort of the purpose in the summing up of this whole thing. And uh, But why? If we're just an animal or just, you know, uh, a biotechnological device created by aliens, you know, a, a genetic experiment created by these horrible beings from other planets, what rights do we have? Why are we here? What's human life for? And if we keep saying what's human life for, we will not meet the human mandate. We will not cherish and and seek to attain the fullness of the human form, what we will do is let ourselves sink into, into the infra-psychic infra and the subhuman level. And, you know, through basically vices and sins and, and lack of any kind of self-respect. And uh, this is what Satan wants, because he wants souls. And he doesn't have a lot 
of time to uh, harvest these souls, so he's putting out his uh, full effort at this point, I would say. Why doesn't he have enough time? Because this the world's about to end. And why, what makes you say that, just based on well, past it, religious it, it, uh, doctrines and what have well, you? Well, I mean, it's it, or, or, or based, based upon what scientists tell us, based upon any number of things. Now, it could go on for 20,000 years. It could go on for 20 years. I mean, nobody would be surprised if, if, if you know, the, the, the ecosystem cracked in 20 years, or it could go on. We yeah. don't know. But, you know, but this is a point where, although what science tells us is on one level and what the scriptures of all the religions tell us is on another level, and, and, and there are levels that the scriptures tell us that science can't touch, yet they, there is a certain convergence between them. And it, it simply means that we're going to have to deal with the fact that we're living in end times. And you don't deal with that by saying, well, when's the world going to end? You know, is it going to be in 10 years or do we have maybe 100 years? And that's not exactly it. But, but we look at the quality of degeneration, the quality of, of chaos and, and loss of, of form that is that is developing in this world and we number one are gonna to have to do everything we can or level best to protect ourselves from these influences. And that's the you know, saving the world. God, if you can save your soul from the destruction that that, that, that is coming through every porthole, through every crack and everything, that's that's a great task and that's a worthy task. And beyond that, there may be certain values that can be expressed in times like these that never could before. I mean, there, there are old uh, saints from the Desert Fathers uh, in Syria and Egypt. I forget. Where, one of these is Abba Moises. I forget exactly where he was, but he was one of those Desert Fathers. And uh, somebody came to him and, and said, uh, oh, he's having, one of the monks was having problems with, uh, you know, sexual fantasies or whatever sexual sins and he was saying well uh how, how do i de- how do i deal with this i feel so weak you know uh, against this kind of temptation and how, does it ever end and abba moises said well uh probably 10 or 12 days after you're in the ground i am told <laughs> when it ends and 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 uh you know and somehow they were talking and, and the monk says well what you know what what will be like really when we get to the latter days you know and he says, oh, in the latter days, Abba Moses says, people will be weaker than we are, and they won't be able to fast even one day, hardly, and, and, and they won't be able to fulfill their spiritual duties, and, and they'll just be, you know, weak and, and, you know, won't have the strength that we have. Yeah. But they, he also said, but they will be better than we are. And the monk says, well, why is this? How could, if, if they're so weak? Well, they, they will have the great honor of being able to fight Satan hand-to-hand, directly, face-to-face. Nice, I like that. And I think that's what's going on now. And and there's something that comes, you know, that, that, that we're able to offer to God, some some value that we're struggling to create that we can offer to our Creator that could not be offered in any other time. You know, it's like they say war brings out the best and the worst in people. Well, I, I think that's what's happening now, and that this, the state of this world is bringing out the best and the worst in people, and we have to learn how to use it so that it brings out the best in us and not the worst. And, you know, that's the larger context in which the UFO phenomenon has to be viewed. And you know, if we can see what's wrong, what's evil about those uh, entities, we will learn an awful lot about other things. To try and bring it back to a little more uh, materialistic uh, perspective, just to sort of okay. uh, nail it down a little bit, where do you see 
what's going on here with UFOs headed? Do you think we're getting to a point now where they're going to be openly accepted by people? It seems like well, that... there, there's a, there's a big push that, that, that you know among apparently the powers that be that um, UFOs be accepted as a reality, and exactly how uh, this is going to be used by the powers that be to um, further sap our moral fiber, which I'm sure it will, I don't know, we'll have to watch, but it's very interesting that Mitchell comes out and says what he says, well, it's it's it's, it's common knowledge, you know, we, we all know that they're real, and the government's in touch with them. Okay, that's one thing. At the same time, the Vatican, very, very not the same time, a little bit earlier, the Vatican astronomer comes out and says, okay, for Catholics to believe in uh, in UFOs and, and ETs, because God is universal and great and Catholic, and so, yeah. you know, uh, now, this has been something that that was asserted a long time ago, but it came out as if it were in concert with Mitchell's statement. And then you have that, you know, um, hour and a half on ABC that came out recently, which which was an interesting overview, covered most of the bases, didn't seem to be a big propaganda work in itself or mind control work. But yet there it was saying, you know, this is a phenomenon we have to deal with, you know, and Larry King and every it's coming, it's, it's getting closer, and there's this disclosure project, which I have not been following, I just know that it exists, and that they're hoping that finally the government will be, will twist the government's arm and they'll, they'll, it'll finally say, oh, okay, we'll break down and say, yeah, we know about it. Yeah. And of course, if, if the, the uh, ufologists and the UFO believers believe that they have exerted so much pressure to force the government you know, out of its stance of denying UFOs and, and to finally break down and admit they're real, then it'll be very hard for them to believe that that's exactly what the government wants. Oh, absolutely. You can you can be sure that that no matter what the government says, the UFO groups won't believe it anyway. So. Well, you know, but what if the, what if the government finally says, "Ah, oh, you, you 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 got us." Yeah, we we try to hide it, but uh, I guess you're too smart for us. You're too powerful for us, and uh, we now will admit that uh, you know. Here's the evidence. And an awful lot of UFO groups will go for that. They'd say, we won. But what if, what if this was all staged to begin with, and that's the final outcome that the government or whoever were calling the government for this purpose uh, wanted all along? Because uh, one of the things that Jacques Vallée said in Messengers of Deception, that someone he talked to said that after World War II, um, the military circles that this person traveled in were talking about, if only we could create the idea of a common enemy from beyond this planet, we, we could unify the, uh, the Earth politically against this outside enemy. Yeah. And that was being talked about way back then. So, you know, whether that's exactly the outcome that everybody who's perpetrating this deception upon us, and not a deception that, that, that the phenomenon is real, the phenomenon is real, but uh, the propagandistic use of a real phenomenon in order to... Uh, foster certain ideas, you know, it, do they want to, it, it's all pointing essentially toward a one world government. Yeah. And I think this is, this is one of the, uh, uh what, what, the, what belief in UFOs does, it breaks down other loyalties. As, as you can see through the Spielberg material, it breaks down loyalties and families. Um, as you can see, um, in terms of the kind of doctrines that the UFOs are supposed to be, you know, the ETs are supposed to be, teaching us, it breaks down loyalty to religion. It's breaking down the various estates of, of human society that would stand against a one world government. 
and it's doing quite a good job. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate, I guess, for lack please, of a better please. term, no pun intended. Um, but what? <laughs> no, and I, I wouldn't, I would never. <laughs> but what about the perspective just that, you know, there's God and he's in his heaven and, and, you know, there's earth here and there's other planets that God made, you know, he's got other things going on. He's multitasking. He's made, you know, four well, or five yeah, earths. And, and of course, I'm not denying that, uh, that there could be intelligent life on other planets. That's something I'm glad we brought out. There certainly could be. It just looks like these beings don't look like they're from around here in terms of material reality. They don't have a quality of material reality. They're too ephemeral. They're, they're, they, they just, they're, they, they fit the profile much more of beings from the intermediary plane, fairies and the jinn and demons, than they do spaceships. Okay. You know, and, and if, if we know that, that, that there, there is a criterion for, for, you know, a definition of that kind of reality, we'll see that, that they're a lot closer to that than they are nuts and bulls spaceship, spaceships coming from somewhere else. Um, it is not to say that, that uh, there couldn't be uh, life on other planets, you know, intelligent life. There might well be. I mean, yeah. I don't know about that. But what Jacques Vallée uh, determined, he just said, if you just take the most convincing and inexplicable uh, apparitions of UFOs, which is maybe 5% or something of the whole um, number, uh, there are simply too many of them for these to be coming from other planets. Yeah. We'd have to be in the middle of, of, of a freeway here. They're, they're just, they're, they're, they act much more like they are beings that have to do with our world, but, but are usually not visible, because there are too many of them to, to, to be coming from other planets. Why, why are people from all planets <laughs> universe coming here right now? Yeah. It doesn't stand to reason. Okay, yeah. I'm, well, I'm a big believer in the uh, option E, all of the above, as far as UFOs go. So I, I'm not in, in conflict with your thoughts here. But okay. another devil's advocate idea here that I have with regards to your stuff. And I really enjoyed your work, and I found it pretty fascinating. But a lot of this stuff is based on the metaphysics of these previous, uh, you know, researchers and, and, and philosophers and stuff mm -hmm. from, from way back when. But we're, we're sort of living in a different time as far as science goes and stuff like that. And maybe, you know, the ideas of these guys are outdated in the sense that, you know, the hierarchy of being and that kind of thing uh, doesn't fly, I guess, with, with what we know nowadays. Does that make any well, sense? Well, yeah, like, and a, a lot of people believe exactly that. And, and th this introduces the concept known as scientism. Now, science, material science in our time has, without doubt, uh, discovered more about material reality and its subtleties and, and how to manipulate it and possibly its origin up to a certain point, than anybody ever has. And it's so impressive. We have, we have impressed ourselves so much with what we've been able to learn about nature that uh, we've developed an ideology around it called scientism, which, without any real reason to say this, with, with, without, you know, um, without any basis for such an assertion, will say whatever science cannot understand or does not accept as existing or is not interested in looking at, none of that exists. Yeah. Now, as Houston Smith said about that, he said, um, uh, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Mm -hmm. And, of course, scientism or science is not going to turn up evidence of things it's not looking for. It's looking for, it started out with um, Newton and mechanics and and during uh, Newton's time, people suddenly believed that the laws of mechanics 
were uh, the way to look into the mind of God. What God? Now we see how God created the universe is through these laws of motion. Well, we've gone way beyond that, but we've gone on the same materialistic plane. And essentially, we cannot say that the human race ha have been fools from day one until maybe 300 years ago. That's, it just doesn't isn't possible. You know, uh, uh, earlier civilizations spent more time attending to levels of being higher on the great chain of being, and so knew more about them. Spent less time and had less resources to attend to the material plane, and so knew less about them. Less about the material plane. Yeah. But basically, you cannot say that um, all those old philosophies were simply um, foolish attempts to explain things that Newton and Einstein and, and later were able to elucidate. They were talking about something else. Entirely different. Okay. If we're going to be under siege by demons and what have you, and then, you know, in, in this, is God going to bail us out? I guess that's the bottom line question. <laughs> is God going to bail us out? <laughs> Very timely. Very uh, timely. Because I kind of feel in a way too, you know, you're kind of tough on the human race here in the book, but in my perspective, I kind of feel like they've been led astray by people that they entrusted to take oh, care yes. of. Yes, this, this is true. This is true. And, and you know, the, the, the people that we turned to used to have been priests, not to say that priests don't have problems of their own, otherwise there wouldn't have been a pedophilia scandal or before that a Protestant Reformation, but, you know, uh, the, the more normal, uh, in terms of the entire history of the human race, the more normal setup of society, when there started to be social classes and castes, was that the people who contemplated the eternal realities were more or less at the top. And, yeah, those people became corrupt, and then they were ousted by people from the lower castes. I mean, Ginon talks about how the time when the priests were essentially, um, there was a revolution of the warriors against the priests, and then the warriors ran things. Mm -hmm. And now we're getting to where, I'm not even sure, pretty soon we won't believe the scientists anymore either, you know. That's, but, yeah, that day is coming pretty but, fast. But, but right now, you know, the, the scientists... Uh, uh, we still turn to them for asking. We ask what is going to what's, what's going to happen. What can we do about it? We turn to the scientists, and um, you know that uh, they can answer a question on on the nuts and bolts level of how, but they cannot answer questions like why. Yeah. In the ultimate sense, and so is God going to bail us out? Well, according to the scriptures of every religion I've seen, you have to say yes and no. What happens is things get to the worst possible pass. And, you know, like in the book of the Apocalypse. And then the new revelation from God comes. And this is called, you know, in Christianity, the, the uh, second coming of Christ. Or, you know, the, the word faithful and true who rides on the white horse who is identified with Christ. And um, also in Islam, Jesus, the prophet Jesus returns and slays the Antichrist. People don't know that about Islam. There's more material about the Antichrist in Islam than there is in Christianity. Um, this is what's called the Kalki Avatara in Hinduism, or Maitreya in Buddhism. And essentially, things get as bad as they can get, and then God intervenes. What we don't know is whether this world as we know it survives, you know, pulls through, somehow we can pick up the pieces, or whether it is essentially annihilated, and as it says in the Apocalypse, then you have the old, you have a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth passed away. We don't know exactly um, 
you know, what will be left of what we know as the Earth by the time this whole process completes itself. But what we do know is we're having been given an exquisite opportunity to choose between evil and illusion on the one hand and the direct intervention of the power and love and truth of God on the other hand. Yeah. And that's that's it. And we we gotta choose because we're we're looking at this big drama but but you know a single human life is so short anyway that, you know, ultimately we have to also say, well, the earth is mortal, uh, even if we pull through this one this time around. The sun will burn out someday. It's not gonna last forever. The earth is mortal, but the soul is immortal. And what is immortal deserves greater care and greater dedication than what is mortal. What is mortal is here in order to give us uh, an environment in which we can make choices that will affect the immortal and, and, and our state in eternity. So that's the basic religious view. And and it's, it really isn't any different when apocalypse comes around. It's just apocalypse just sharpens everything, makes it more, makes it clearer for those who uh, it may have been a little hazing on it. But, you know, it's the same thing. You know, we've got to save your soul because that's why we're here. We're put into, into this world of immensely different kinds of influences. And, you know, you, you, build, you build your soul, as it were, according to the influences that you accept and the ones you reject. And we got a certain amount of time to do this. And how our soul is by the time we come to the end of our lives determines the next phase of things. And that's, that's why we're here. Yeah. Now, in the book, you talk about how the aliens, they're like the jinn, and they're yeah. kind of like demonic, but there's also some good jinn. Are they sort of offsetting the, the well, evil ones? Well, I hope so. I mean... <laughs> Don't we all? Yeah, it's, it, they may well be. I, I undoubtedly, in fact, if, if answering that question, I would refer you to The Lord of the Rings. The Lord of the Rings is probably, this, you know, in a certain sense, the story of these apocalyptic times seen from the standpoint of the intermediary plane. And I'm not saying that everything that, that happens in the Lord of the Rings is really going on, but it, it shows you the oh, the quality of of the war of light against darkness as it as it happens in that subtle world. Yeah. So I think that I think that is probably going on. But the thing is, the question is, can we ally with the Chim? I mean, the hippies believed we could ally with the good fairies against the bad technology, uh, and a lot of them got that from reading the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> They didn't see that as a Christian allegory, which is what Tolkien meant it to be. They saw it as a neo-pagan allegory, and <laughs> it had a bigger influence in uh, expanding neo-paganism than in adding something to Christianity. But I think what I learned when I tried to do that in the olden days was that we really cannot align with them. They're fighting their own battle on their own plane. In fact, there was a Sufi saint, a Muslim saint, who... Uh, when he would pray, the uh, Muslim jinn, the good jinn, would come and pray next to him. And he would politely ask them, could you please go and pray somewhere else? Not because he thought they were evil, but because they're terribly distracting. Yeah. I mean, we have, we have our own human function and our own human duty, and dallying around with a jinn, even the nice jinn, can sort of jinnify us in a strange way. It makes us <laughs> too... You know, I, I look yeah. at these people doing extreme sports, and I'm saying they're almost trying to turn into, into you know, <laughs> they're, they're trying to fly. You know, they're trying to turn into, into, into fairies or the gin or ride on magic carpets or magic uh, motorcycles, you know. And, and there's that tendency 
because um, the gin can really energize you, but but they turn you sort of into a, um, you know this term pixelated? You ever hear that word? Yeah. Yeah, it means pixie lead, and you know you just you just get uh, you get elvish, and it's not a good idea to become elvish. We need to be human, and this is one of the big things we're forgetting, and and what the evil gin are trying to get us to forget, because you know we be fascinated with all these magics and psychic powers, and forget the basic work of overcoming the darkness in our souls, overcoming vice, building virtue, uh, following God's will as we understand it and as it has been revealed to us, uh, and we get too excited about all those magic powers, we will forget the main point. But what about the idea that the magic powers, for lack of a better term, you know, like psychic abilities and stuff, are, are inherently possible in people, but that it's been drowned out of them by society well, and the way that, people... That's you know. a half-truth. I think there's some truth to that. I just think that a time in which those psychic powers could be well used by the general run of humanity is more or less past. Um, I mean, it's, it's true that, that, you know, in various traditions, uh, saints will develop those powers, but they will not develop them because they're seeking them. They'll develop them as a byproduct of seeking God. And it, it's essentially God who uses those powers, not me. So that's another way to look at them. But I think... If psychic powers develop, it's not necessarily evil, but it's never a good idea to want to develop psychic powers because that's not your job. Your job is to be a better person. <laughs> you know. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> okay. Well. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about that we haven't touched on? Anything? <sighs> not that I can think of. We've kind of hit on most of the big points here. Yeah, and we finally got to putting the UFO phenomenon in the eschatological context, which, you know, I would try to do in my book. And in, actually, Cracks in the Great Wall is part, mostly part of a larger book called The System of Antichrist, Truth and Falsehood in Postmodernism and the New Age. And so the last, the last thing is, buy my book, which you can get through Amazon or Barnes & Noble. There you go. Well, I have one more question for you. And this kind of springs out what we've been talking about, too. It's not really in the notes. As we've kind of been talking about, you think that the society is being molded and shaped uh, on evil intents, if you will. And, and But do you think that the people, uh, the actual humans that are sort of pulling the strings, do you think that they know that they're in service of Satan, if you will? Oh, that's a great question. Most of them do not. So they just think that they're doing it do. for the best or something? For, a for... few of them do. Most of them do not. That's that's the, the short answer. <laughs> okay. Do you want to extrapolate on that a little more? What, with the people who do, they're just Satanists? Is that how it works? And the ones Some that... of them actually are. And I believe that. I mean, I, I think. And but there are an awful lot of people who, from, from my point of view, would look like Satanists because of what they do. And actually, that's not their view of themselves at all. They're just, you know, running your regular rail politic you know, power uh, motive uh, with with uh, as much social control and, and propaganda thrown in that they, they think they need. I mean, most of most of our uh, masters uh, are simply, you know, like politicians or uh, people have always been who want power, economic power. Um, so they're as duped as the rest of us. Those those most people are duped, but I think there's some people who got to a place where they ultimately are worshiping Satan because that's that's one of the possibilities. That's something we 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 look at Satanists as 
oh, you know, very fringy people who, who, who are like, you know, serial killers or like to do horrible things or weird cults where they... No, but they're usually pretty okay. normal people uh, on the outside. Yeah. But, but you know, the, the idea that, that, that Satanism could be an element of the power elite is something that, and I, I wish, I, I know there's a great bibliography, if I knew it, I could give you about that. There's one, was an age for Satan. I forget who wrote that. But uh, he, he was just discovering... Oh, I forget his name, but he, he was uh, studying these cults, uh, the satanic cults, and uh, he was finding that, wait a minute, you know, he's, he's running in, into people who, who are very, you know, influential and very powerful in the world who were associated with these cults, and uh, he had no religious belief, and so he was going to just, you know, be a, be a cult, uh, um, you know, do cult exposés, but he was so overawed by the darkness in these cults that he almost said, well, gee, maybe they're, maybe they're real. You know, if it's real, maybe that's the way things are. Maybe that's the way life is. Maybe it is evil. You know, yeah. uh, he didn't have a religious faith to tell him not to do that. But there, there is uh, a, a tendency. I don't know what groups or individuals are involved, but a lot of, or some of the power elites, uh, I'm, I'm convinced are involved in what's called Luciferianism. That's what I call it anyway. Some people, other people do, and it's it's a, a false metaphysic where you sort of distribute the idea of the food chain to to, to the entirety of existence. Uh, everything is predatory. The way you rise spiritually is by you know feeding on those who are lesser than you and rebelling against and taking over the position of those who are higher than you. And so it's it's like a satanic vision of the great chain of being. The great chain of being is God's self-manifestation down through these uh, layer upon layer of existence, you know, like like waves of, of light and truth coming out from him and manifesting on all these different levels. But uh, the, the Luciferians look at it as a kind of uh, food chain where it's all predatory, it's all evil. And what they ultimately want to do is... Uh, they, they think they think God is like like a king or like a president who just happens to be in that position of power, you know. But uh, you know they're going to knock him out of the box. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're going to they're going to you know eat their way up the food chain until they finally, you know, are able to kill God and become him. You know, and some people actually do believe that, and, and uh, that that becomes their operative paradigm for everything they do. Well, that's spooky. Um, yeah, it is. It is spooky. It is indeed. Uh, if you want to see a movie of that, uh, look at The Devil's Advocate with Al Pacino. Yeah, I think that was a little look into the Luciferian world of uh, New York. Well, I'll agree that New York is pretty Luciferian <laughs> since I'm from Boston, so I'm, I'm, I'm all on. Oh, board. you're a couple of Boston's. <laughs> Catholics, some of them are pretty weird. Ah, uh, well, we do. We Bernard can. Law should be in jail, not in the Vatican. But anyway, that's for sure. It's been an enlightening conversation. What's What's next for you? What do you have planned? Future books? What kind of stuff you got planned in that? Well, I, I got a whole bunch of books that came out this year because I'm luckily working with this publisher who is uh, a one man operation. So he publishes all the books he can, although they're all pretty good, if I do say so myself. And, and I've got a book called. I, I, I shied a bit away from looking at the dark side because you can't do that every year, you know. Yeah. So I was doing. I, I did a book called Knowings in the Arts of Metaphysics, Cosmology, and the Spiritual Path, which I just wrote enough of metaphysical essays and actually a fable, and uh, that finally got to be book length. So there was that. And there's a book on Sufism 
called Reflections of Tasawuf. There's an old a book that I wrote some years ago, most of it called Who is the Earth? How to See God in the Natural World. Um, there's a book called Shadow of the Rose, The Esoterism of the Romantic Tradition, where I'm looking at, you know, having been a poet earlier in life and having being descended from um, Guillaume de Poitiers, who was the first troubadour. And in Sufism, you know, like in the poetry of Rumi and such, there's a lot of that spiritual romance. So um, I did something on the romantic tradition as it appears in Christianity and Islam and elsewhere. So that's Shadow of the Rose. And the last book I did was called Folk, because I moved to Kentucky four years ago from California. So we got into this folk world where, you know, you get state grants to do folk stuff. Yeah. So I wrote a book called Folk Metaphysics, Mystical Meanings in Traditional Folk Songs and Spirituals. Which Interesting. was fun, and, and it somehow all this metaphysical lore that didn't fit in anywhere else, somehow when I was doing exegesis of these songs like uh, The Lady Gay and, and um, uh, Scarborough Fair and things like that, I just filled in all this metaphysical lore that, that seemed to be suggested by those songs. Because some, some people who wrote those songs knew exactly what they were doing. And once in a while, very you know, pretty rarely, once in a while you get a traditional ballad that is a strict essay in metaphysics. Wow. They were maybe done by the Christian Hermeticists or something like one is called uh, Fair Nottoman Town. It's all alchemical symbolism. So that was interesting to see. You know. Nice, nice. And you got a website or anything that people can check out? What do you suggest uh, how people check out more of your work? I Through Amazon? Know. I guess they, they can go back to oldseriousseekers.com, which hasn't been updated in years but is still alive, and they can get an interview by me. It doesn't have, have my new books. Okay. So, uh, and unfortunately, the website of our press is so ambitious that it's taking forever to develop. And um, press is um, Sophia Perennis, S-O-P-H-I-A-P-E-R-E-N-N-I-S dot com. And you go in there, and you either, you know, soon you'll be able to see the new website, but right now, SophiaPerennis.com will take you to the old website, which has a few of my books, but not all the ones I'm talking about here. Okay, but you're, it's, it's going to be up and running soon, you think? Yeah, it'll be, it'll, hopefully. And uh, we want to make it interactive. We came up, me and, and Marty Glass, who's another of the authors of Sophia Perennis, who wrote a wonderful book about the end times from a totally different perspective, very, you know, entirely spiritual and, and com- coming from comparative religion and a lot of it from Hinduism, but also very humanistic because this guy used to be a Marxist back when you could be an idealistic Marxist, you know, and then of course he gave it up. But, uh, you know, really, you know, talking to the man in the street about what it's like to live in these terrible times. Yeah. Beautiful book. It's called Yuga and Anatomy of Our Fate. And uh, anyway, he and I came up with two... Um, sets of questions. He did most of them. I did a few, and they came to the 80 questions all together. And they're basically like just asking uh, basic questions on the spiritual life, you know? Like one is, uh, are we living in a creation or just some kind of place? You know, on that kind of level. And, and actually, they cover most of the main points in metaphysics and the spiritual life, but in a very uh, accessible way to remind me of uh, Studs Terkel or something, you know. Yeah. Very. Uh, and um, what we want to do is make those available so people can answer them, and then, you know, we'll choose the, the best answers because we we can't just put in everything and archive them, and so people can go back and see what, you know, the people are saying about metaphysics. Yeah. 
because there's a lot of wisdom out there that, that doesn't, you know, that has no voice and it may not even know what it knows until it starts expressing it. And we hope to serve the people who uh, who have that wisdom. And that'll be on the new website when you get it up and running. Yeah, yeah. Nice. No, so com. Awesome, awesome. Well, I'll keep an eye on that, and when it gets all up and running, we'll, uh, we'll link up to it and everything. Good. Well, Charles, it's been great talking to you. I really appreciate you coming on the show. You bring a definitely uh, unique perspective to this aside from the usual ufologists that we have on the program. Uh, that's they, they sort of look at it from a different perspective. I, I really enjoy your metaphysical perspective. It's very deep. It's very uh, thought-provoking stuff and really makes you take another look at the UFO phenomenon, what really may be going on here. So uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I look forward to more of your works, and hopefully we'll be talking again in the future. Well, hope so. Glad to have done it. That does it for this week's edition of BOA Audio Season 4. Big, big, super huge thanks to Charles Upton for coming on the show. Fascinating stuff. You can find out more information on Charles at the website www.seriousseekers.com S-E-R-I-O-U-S-S-E-E-K-E-R-S.com Check it out. Moving right along now, it's time for BOA Audio listener feedback. And we've got a short but sweet email here this week. No hometown listed, no name listed. Just a random series of numbers. A really strange one, one I thought would be kind of amusing to bring to you here at the end of the program. And here it is. I actually don't have any complaints. I am very interested in where a good place to look for a werewolf or a creature along those lines would be. That's it. That's all they wrote. And I promptly wrote back to them to let them know to look at the research of Linda Godfrey, who's done a lot of investigation into the werewolf and were phenomenon, someone who I'd definitely like to have on the program sometime in the future. So, mysterious emailer, check out Linda Godfrey's stuff. She'll be able to direct you to where to find a werewolf if you so desire. These are my listeners, folks. These are my correspondents. If you'd like to be a part of BOA Audio listener feedback, there's three ways to do it. Either write to boaaudio at hotmail.com or go to Banal of America and click the contact button. And the third option, join the official BOA forum, theusofe.com, T-H-E-U-S-O-F-E.com. Check it out. And if you want to be guaranteed that your email gets read here at the end of the program, Either be from another country, be an international listener, then you're definitely going to get your email read. Or, and I hate to sound like Bill O'Reilly here, but make the email kind of pithy, and you'll definitely get it read here at the end of the program. I've got a lot of emails in the box here that are three, four paragraphs long, and I know no one wants to hear me read that much at the end of the show. Maybe I'll condense them down to a main point or something, I'm not sure. But make them short or be from another country, and you're almost guaranteed to be read here at the end of the program for BOA Audio listener feedback. Kind of like the werewolf guy. All right, let's take care of some business, and that business is the thanks portion of the show. They are the outstanding BOA staff, Leslie, Chiron, R. Lee, Joe V., Tina Senna, Rochelle Hawks, and Richard Thomas from Wales. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, fresh columns from the great BOA staff. We're looking at adding a couple new members of the staff sometime in the not-too-distant future, so be on the lookout at BOA for that. And definitely want to swing by the website and check out those columns. They are fantastic reading material and act as a great supplement to the BOA Audio podcast series. 
Just like we say every week here, if you're only listening to the program and you're not reading the columns at Banal of America, you're only getting half the story. VOA, make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. Here comes the part of the show where I reach my hand out to you and ask for a donation to the program and to the website. This whole operation cost me money. It cost me money out of the yin-yang, my friends, with long-distance phone calls and bandwidth considerations and website hosting and just the general time I put into each episode. Those costs pile up, and they come out of my pocket, supplemented, of course, with help from the great BOA Audio listeners and readers who make donations. How do you make a donation? That's simple. You go to Banal of America or the BOA Audio Archive page, click the PayPal button, and make a donation. I know times are tough. I know we are in a financial crisis across the boards here, my friends, so I'm not asking you to break the bank. If you don't have the money to donate to me, that's cool. I totally understand. But if you do have some money lying around and you want to help out the BOA franchise, please do. No donation is too small, and all donations go towards keeping BOA and BOA Audio up and running and freely available for all of our great readers and listeners the world over. Next week on the program, it is a monumental episode of BOA Audio. It is our 100th episode. I'm not counting, of course, the infamous X-Conference sessions. I'm only talking about BOA Audio in the seasonal format. And next week's program will be our 100th episode. And we're going to celebrate it with the massively popular investigative journalist, George Knapp. George is going to talk about the evolution of his journalism career, his investigation into Area 51 and the subsequent fallout in ufology, his take on UFO studies, reflections on his research into the Skinwalker Ranch, and the latest news on his coverage of the Needles UFO case from earlier this summer. It's BOA Audio's centennial, and we're going to celebrate it with a bona fide A-list esoteric name in an episode you do not want to miss. Now, I don't want to make any promises here, but I may put together a little 100th episode clip show sort of special thing. I'm not sure. I kind of came up with the idea last night, so I don't even know if I'm going to have time to do that. But be on the lookout for that. That may be at the end of the program next week as the spice element, since we had no spice here at the end of this week's program. Aside from, of course, the werewolf email, which, let's be honest, that was pretty spicy. Whether or not we do the 100th special clip show thingy-mabob we're definitely going to have George Knapp for you here next week, hour-long conversation with the co-author of Hunt for the Skinwalker and the every third and fourth Sunday host of Coast to Coast AM. It is definitely one of the best of episodes of BOA Audio. Next week, our 100th episode with Mr. George Knapp. And on that note, we wrap it up here for the week. Thank you so much for listening, folks. Thanks to all the great blogs and websites also that have been posting information about BOA Audio. If you're listening to the show on the Anomaly Radio Network or the Black Vault Radio Network or the Paranormal Radio Network, thanks for checking out the program. Stop by Banal of America, B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America.com for all kinds of great esoteric madness, including an insanely deep esoteric audio archive, now numbering up to 99 episodes. Until next week where we celebrate episode number 100, this is Tim Banal, thanking you for listening and signing off.